This morning we are back in our series in uh, Matthew um, and the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me? Um, We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. So Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 26. This is Jesus speaking as he continues his Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said... You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser whilst you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So, so far in our series, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've, 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 we've had two uh, previous sessions looking at Jesus' sermon. The first one, we, we just took the time to, to read through the sermon as a whole, to, to hear it as Jesus' voice, as one uh, collective piece of teaching, and, and to hear it all through the, the whole thing. And to see what Jesus is, is saying. And, and, and we also took the time to introduce it as well. Just remembering uh, what, what Jesus has been doing in, the, in those first four chapters of Matthew. As Matthew uh, really unpacks the question of, well, who is Jesus? What does he come here to do? And we, we saw Matthew uh, make a key point. Jesus is the one who's come to fulfill all the promises that have been given to God's people. He's the one who is going to be the the king who will reign forever. He's the one who's going to be blessing the nations. He's the one who's going to rescue us from sin and overcome sin and the enemy. And and we saw as well, as we kind of zoomed out and looked at what's the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what's going on, who's who's in the room, as it were, who's listening in. And we saw that Jesus is... He's gathered the crowds. The crowds have begun to gather to Jesus to hear uh, his teaching and everything he has to say. And because he's been healing the sick, crowds have gathered. And he goes away, he pulls away, and he goes up the hill and he sits down and he's speaking to his disciples. Now, we don't know how many people would have been who would have called themselves followers of Jesus at that point, but he's speaking to them and the crowds are looking in. They are watching uh, what is going on. And Jesus' big point as he's teaching is, this is what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is what life looks like when I have come to bring this kingdom. And then last week, we looked at uh, those three things, didn't we, that that I said were Jesus' big foundation for understanding the Sermon on the Mount. We said that uh, uh, the, the sermon begins with blessing. The kingdom of God has come to bless and to bring joy. You know, it's, it's not the enemy of the good life. You know, there are some people who look at Christianity and the things that we teach and the things that we say and they go, these guys are killjoys, right? They, they say this, they don't let me do this. There's just, Christianity is just a list of rules of things that are fun that I can't do. 
And, and Jesus says, no, no, this is, this is the good life. This is the way to enjoy life. It's, this is the, you know, there is no trade-off between ultimate happiness and ultimate holiness. That's what Jesus is going to get. No, if you pursue the kingdom and, and to live God's way, you will be totally and completely blessed and happy. There is no trade-off. And the kingdom comes, Jesus says, with a particular blessing to those who are aware of and know their weakness. Who recognise their own need. Remember this. Okay, remember that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. And we said we saw as well that it shows who we are. As we live this way, remember the, the disciples are, are listening to Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow me. The crowds are looking in. In the same way, as we live our lives as Christians, the world is watching us. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And Jesus says, as you live in the way that you're called to, in these ways that I've, I've brought you into, you are going to be light in the world. You're going to be salt of the earth. People are going to see you and they're going to glorify your Father in heaven because of your good works. Because of the way you love. Because of the way you give yourself. Because of the way you forgive. And all the things that Jesus is going to talk about. The way you operate in marriage. The way that you love one another. All of those things are going to point people to see what God is like and whose children you are. We're called to be radically different. And Jesus is going to show us in the Sermon on the Mount exactly how. And, and finally, we saw that Jesus is very careful to stress that he's not come to, to, to do away with everything that's come before. He's not doing away with the Old Testament. He says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. So that was the third thing we said, that the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount is a fulfillment of everything that has come before. Right, no, the, the Old Testament is still authoritative, it's still true, it's still good. Jesus is going to say later that, that the scriptures are unbroken. They, they cannot be broken. As, as Michael's referring to the, the promises of God that cannot be broken. When God speaks, it is so. It is done. His words, uh, he doesn't change his mind. And so that is not happening in the Sermon on the Mount. All scriptures God breathes, says Paul, and useful uh, for teaching and, and equipping us for righteousness. And so, uh, and Paul there talking about the, the Old Testament particularly. Now, to anyone listening in, this is a very strange thing for Jesus to say. Right? Jesus says, don't worry guys, I'm not going to uh, get rid of uh, the word of God. You're thinking, well of course you're not, you're, you're a teacher. Like, you're not, you're not going to get rid of the word of God. And yet, Jesus uh, is able to say, don't worry, I'm not going to uh, get rid of the word of God. Because he's coming with the same authority as the word of God. Everybody's thinking, like, nobody would assume that the teacher that they're listening to is going to be like, I'm right, I'm scratching off that. No, we don't believe what God says there. No, in the Jewish world, people are, are, are reverent of the word of God. And so for Jesus to say this is just strange. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm not doing that. And he's able to say that because he comes with equal authority. And he has to say it because he's about to say some things that might make you think that that's exactly what he's doing. And we're going to see that as we go. And so just before the, the passage that we've just read, Jesus kind of finishes with this challenge. He says, unless your uh, righteousness exceeds, is greater than, is, is better than, that your Pharisees and scribes, those religious leaders of today, uh, unless your righteousness, your goodness is better than that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
But that's a challenge. These guys who, who have memorized their Bibles, who have gone through it and, and pulled out of it uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of laws and rules to keep and have added more besides just to make sure that they're especially careful. Right? I'm not even going to go close to those laws. I'm going to set even bigger barriers out in my life so that I don't, uh, there's no danger of me ever breaking any of God's laws. Jesus says, your righteousness needs to be greater than theirs. That's a, that a challenge. Wow, Jesus, you expect us to do better than those guys? You expect us to live holier life, lives than these guys? And, and Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm going to show you how. And what follows this challenge is a series of six, um, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Right? There are six of these in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said to those of old, so he's not talking about um, a, a, another teacher, Right, that's a, this is a phrase, by the way, uh, you've heard it said, but I say to you, it's a phrase that actually a lot of teachers of the day might have used. You know, you've heard other teachers say this, but I say to you, Jesus isn't saying it of other teachers, he's saying it of scripture. He says, he goes to scripture, you said to those of old, those who first received these Bible passages, that, that you should not kill, but I say to you, and then he adds to it. You know, he shows these things, these six, uh, but I say to use, show, give us examples of how our righteousness, our, our lives are to be lived with a, a deeper reverence to God than these great religious leaders that Jesus is pointing to. He has come, as we've seen, to fulfill the law. He's not, arguing against, he's not arguing against those scriptures when he quotes them and says, but I say to you. He is fulfilling them. He's, he's pulling them back and he's showing the heart of them as they are. Right? Do not kill. Well, let me show you what's really going on behind that, uh, behind that command. What God is really getting at when he gives you that command. What God is really saying. And I'm going to show you, as he does that, we'll find that our hearts are exposed as to ourselves as well. And we realise we have broken these rules. So as I say, Jesus starts this series of six, but I say to use, with um, what people would consider probably the key moral law right around the world. Right? Don't kill somebody else. Right? The, uh, in, the, in the Bible, um, it's very clear that, that humans, all humans are made in the image of God and that life itself is a gift of God. And so to attack a person, to take a life, is an offence to God. It's not just you've wronged that person, you've offended God because you've assaulted his image and you've removed his gift. But you don't have to believe the Bible to know that murdering is wrong. Right? There's a lot of people who don't believe the Bible who would still believe that murdering is wrong. It's hardwired into us, isn't it? It's, 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 it? We know that it's wrong. In fact, there are some people who live the most outrageous and evil and vile lives who would point to a murderer and say, I'm not as bad as him. This is, people know that murder is, is wrong and a lot of people put it at the top of the list of the most evil things that you can do killing somebody you know, and, and that is, I don't, I'm not arguing against that but, but people do that this is, this, is, this is the easiest one to avoid you don't accidentally kill somebody you don't accidentally murder somebody and it's the, uh, it's the fundamental sign of evil if you cross that line you are, you are evil it is the lowest one to break and the easiest to keep, apparently. But then Jesus comes along and raises the stakes. He's like, what you think you're doing well because you've not killed somebody. 
But let me open your eyes and show you your heart and show you what is going on in there, says Jesus. He says, everybody who is angry with his brother will, will, will suffer the same consequences as everybody who commits murder. Everybody who insults his brother, who speaks badly about him behind his back or to his face, or anybody who, who bubbles, whose anger bubbles up to, to an insult, he says, you fool, or insert another phrase there. Anybody who does that is under the same wrath, the same judgment as murder, as a murderer would be. Jesus, as we've said before, is concerned not only with your actions, but with your hearts. He, he cares about your heart. We see in, in 1 Samuel 16, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus fulfills that command, do not murder, and shows us, as I say, what is going on behind it. What it's always been about. It's about protecting those made in the image of God and restricting any assault against them and any offence against them. And in doing so, as we say, he reveals our hearts. He shows us that in our hearts, we are all murderers. We've all failed to keep this even, even this most basic and fundamental command, because we've all committed murder in our hearts. You know, who of us hasn't been angry? Who of us hasn't spoken badly about another person, either behind their back or to their face? Or even in our own heads, haven't thought evil thoughts against them? Who of us haven't, in a moment of angry outburst, insulted somebody? We all fall under judgment at the very first hurdle. It's at this point that we need to rush back to that very first line of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus opens up with. The crowds gather in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. When we recognise that we've failed to keep God's law, we need to remember what Jesus has said as his very first words to the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they will, they will enter the kingdom of heaven. They will receive it. They will receive it. If you're feeling poor when you reach this point of going, Man, I've not even managed to keep the most basic law. In my heart, I'm a murderer. Remember, Jesus says, the poor. You feel poor? I do. I've been reading this. I've been in this all week. And all the time I'm thinking, I fail. I fail. I fail. Jesus says to me, Josh, you're poor in spirit, but guess what? <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognise their lack, because they, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Come to me, come to me. We need to keep coming back. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we need to recognise that Jesus knows our weakness. Right? He knows our weakness, and he has accounted for it. We all fail, we all become angry, but Jesus works in us to transform us and to make us more like him. And he, and he gives us, although he calls us to this high standard of do not even be angry, because he equates anger with murder. Do not even be angry with your brother. As he calls us to that, he equips us to be able to live that way as well. He forgives us and he equips us to be able to live the way that God calls us to. Now, just a bit of an aside here. What is anger? 
Like what, are we, what, are we, what are we talking about anger? Is, is it always wrong just to be angry? Is there, is there no circumstance in which it's, it's possible to be angry? Well, the phrase here in the Greek, um, I, don't, I don't like to jump to the Greek. I don't feel like I want to pull rank in that way. But the, the, the phrase in the Greek is, uh, it's a sort of whoever is angry. It's kind of a, it's an ongoing anger. Anybody who, who holds on to anger. Anybody who is living with anger. And so there's a sort of an implication here that, that the anger Jesus is talking about is one that is, is a kind of a nurtured anger, one that is, is maintained, but also one that kind of bursts out. Those angry outbursts and those uh, pet grudges that we, that we nurture and we nurse, those are the things that, that, that Jesus is speaking against. You know, that, that there is, a, you know, the Bible kind of, there's a nuance in the Bible for, for an anger that isn't wrong, right? There is a, there is, it is appropriate to be angry at injustice. It is appropriate to, to read uh, in the paper or see on the news uh, modern day slavery and to be angry about it. That is, that is right. You know, God is angry about such things. Or to be angry at, uh, uh, at sin itself. It is, it, those are appropriate responses. In fact, we see Jesus' zeal consume him as he, as he takes up the whip and turns over tables in the temple courts, right? And that's not just a moment of anger. He's made that whip. He sat there for hours weaving this thing, we're told, to, to, to bring it out, right? He is, he's there, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, making this whip, knowing exactly what he's going to do with it. So, and, and, and so there is such a thing as righteous anger. I do think Christians are too quick to call everything that they're angry about righteous anger. Right? Righteous anger, can I, I have to tell you, if somebody cuts you off on the road, that's not righteous anger. <laughs> if, if you've been waiting in a queue for too long, that's not righteous anger. If somebody insults you, that is not righteous anger. Righteous anger is something, but let's not be too quick to call what we're feeling that. We've got to let Jesus' words here have their full effect. He's just talking about your anger. Let me tell you, 99.9% of your anger is what Jesus is condemning here. Let's say we're all going to fail here. And Jesus know this, knows this. Because after giving this command, he gives us practical ways for us to walk in it. Right? He gives us two practical examples um, uh, for us to walk in it. And both of those examples of how we do it assume that we've already failed. Right? There's, there's, a, there's, there's, there's something, Jesus says, um, anybody who's anger will be liable to judgment. So, verse 23, so, and then he gives two different examples and both of them assume that we've already failed and we've already uh, broken this commandment. And they both deal with how we deal with broken relationships. So, verse 23, so if, if you're offering your gift at the altar, this is kind of up at the temple, offering your, your gift, your sacrifice, and there remember that your brother has something against you, that word could be brother or sister, has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave it. Stop what you're doing. Drop what you're doing uh, before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In this picture, somebody's there coming to worship God, uh, bringing their offering, and as they do that, they remember, oh, that, like that person, they're convicted in their heart, that person's got something against me. I've, I've wronged that person. In that moment, Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and go and, and sort that out. 
Now this isn't uncommon in worship, I don't think. I think as we, as we come to God and we, and we turn our eyes to him, and as we worship him, and as we turn our hearts to him, I think that there is something in that, in that moment as we do those things that in those settings like, like this morning and in other settings as we worship that opens our eyes and our minds to see our faults more clearly. I think there's just something that happens in those moments that, that enables us to see our failings and, and God is giving those, us those little promptings of how he wants us to, to change, those things that he wants us to do. I mean, we see it in Isaiah. You know, he has that wonderful vision, Isaiah 6. He sees the throne room of God, the, the angels around singing, holy, holy, holy. And there's this song going on, there's this chorus of how good God is. And Isaiah feels, I can't even join in this song because I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man who's failed. And God, and God comes and meets Isaiah, but there is something in that moment. Isaiah comes to that place of worship that he sees his failure. And that happens to us. It may have happened even this morning that, that as we've been singing, as we've been coming together in worship, there have been little prompts that God's been saying, actually, you've got to sort this out. There's something here to be sorted out. So as I say, I don't think that's uh, unusual. What is unusual is what Jesus says here is order of priority. Now, in those days, um, the teachers would say, you know, do your service to God first. Right? Serve God first and then serve everybody else. Everybody else gets the scraps after you've done your duties to God. Jesus is saying, first, go. Sort out your relationship with this person. Your worship or your offering is unacceptable to God if your relationships aren't right. Do you hear that? If your relationships aren't right, your worship, your offering is unacceptable. John says this, he's writing to the churches, 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and does not love his brother, he is a liar. If anyone says, I love God, but then... Is kind of bad-mouthing other people in the room or is, or is acting in a way that doesn't demonstrate love towards his brother, he's a liar. Like, you're not from God. You don't, you don't know God because if you, if you knew God and you loved God, then it would be expressed here because God loves this person. And so John is rightly saying that a measure of understanding how much a person knows and loves Jesus is how much that person is able to love and, and serve his brothers and sisters. He's talking about in the church there, but also it extends wider. Jesus as well, says he's, as he's talking to his disciples, this kind of fine, these final words of Jesus to his disciples uh, through the end of John's gospel, John 15, he says, hey, people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Uh, you you want to know how people are going to see who you are and who you belong to and who's teaching you follow? Well, it'll be by your love for one another and your love uh, for the world that you're going to be known as a people of love. And so Jesus says, if you've not got this right, drop what you're doing and sort it out. Reconciliation, that, those mending of broken relationships, takes priority. I'm amazed at the offering that we've taken up. Honestly amazed. And I believe it is a work of God in our hearts and things that I want to see replicated in us again and again and again. But can I tell you, it is easier to drop £100 into a bucket than it is to make that hard phone call. It's, it is easier to give financially than it is to, to do what Jesus is talking about here in building those good and godly relationships with one another. Now, both are supernatural. Both are supernatural. But, if, but Jesus is kind of saying, hey, if this, one, this one takes priority because if you're released 
to, to love one another in the way that I, I'm calling you to, you are going to be launched into supernatural worship and supernatural giving and, and these offerings. I love that as, as, as Neil introduced us to worship this morning, he's talking about the offering of worship. Hey, you are going to be more equipped to do that when your relationships are well. He says, then return. After you've sorted it, then return. We do both. We don't stop doing either. If this room starts being empty on a Sunday morning because people say to me, actually, I've, I've asked, it's come up again, I've got to go sort out another uh, relationship issue before I can come, then I'm, I'm going to ask, be asking some questions because there is a clear kind of, no, we do come back. We do come back. There is a, we don't stop doing either. But as I say, we are unable to give or to worship in the way that God wants us to, that is wholeheartedly, until uh, we are also loving our brothers and sisters. We're also called to take responsibility. To, to followers of Jesus are called to actively pursue peace and reconciliation. And Jesus said, hasn't he, already, as he opens up in his opening words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is the amazing thing that Jesus is saying here. You know, the amazing thing about this, this kind of this story, this little parable that Jesus says here of the man who, who goes and remembers is that he might not necessarily even be in the wrong, right? Do you read that? Do you see? Your brother has something against you. You know, he might not even have done anything. And yet the, the brother might, might be the one who's, who's got everything wrong. He might be the one who's just, just for no reason uh, disliking this guy. And yet, Jesus is saying, even in that circumstance, you take responsibility. You, as, as a peacemaker, as my children, will take responsibility to, to bring peace and reconciliation in that relationship. I think what Jesus is getting at here, Paul kind of unpacks as he writes to the Romans. He says, as, as, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Right? Don't wait for the other person to apologise. Don't wait for that other person to, to see how they're going to respond. Right? They've done everything wrong. Like, I, why should I apologise? I'm always the first to apologise. Jesus says, no, it is your duty as a, as a child of God to be a peacemaker in that situation. But, but they started it. You're called to be the peace in that situation. But don't you know what they said to me? They've been saying this about my, behind me, about my back. God says, drop what you're doing, make it right, as far as possible. Now, Jesus is aware, right, that it's not always going to be possible. He does say, even earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you and people persecute you for my sake, right? There are going to be people who hate you, and it will just be because of who you are. But as much as possible, pursue peace. As much as possible, pursue reconciliation. Hey, if Jesus was stopped from serving God because there were people who didn't like him, he wouldn't have done anything. So there is a point where, where, where we just, we've done everything we can, everything we physically can, and we've just got to get on. But, but the Bible tells us very clearly, as much as possible, take the first step. Even if that means you're always the one who takes the hit. If you're always the one who takes the punches. If you're always the one who forgives, even though they have... Uh, that, you know, even though there's, there's nothing coming back at you, there's nothing good coming from them. Even so, as far as it depends on you, 
build good relationships, live at peace. We take our example from Jesus, don't we? Jesus who says, we were enemies of God, we were raging against him. He had done nothing wrong. And he comes down and says, I'm going to take them. I'm going to take this. I'm going to sort this. I'm going to make this right. Having done nothing wrong, lays down his life. And he says to his followers, follow me in that as well. Follow me in that as well. Follow my example there. You've been, you've been wronged. You, you, there are people who hate you and you might not have done anything wrong. Why don't you take the first step in bringing reconciliation there, in bringing peace? It might cost you your life. It might feel like it does. Follow me. This is what it means to live the way Jesus does. It comes with a sense of urgency as well, a kind of a quickness, right? So verse 24, firstly, drop what you're doing, firstly, go and sort this out. And then verse 25 is there's the example of, of you're on the way to the courtroom and there's somebody, you're walking with your opponent who's going to take you to court, is the, is the second picture that Jesus is. He says, quickly, sort it out. Before you get, even get to the courtroom, before, there's, there's even an, uh, before it escalates, before it goes to the final judgment, sort it out. There is an urgency. Now is the time. Don't wait. Don't wait. I mean... Don't wait, as I say, to see what the other person will do. Don't wait to, to, to see how it's going to play out. Don't wait to see if it can all be swept under the, uh, the, the carpet. Sort it out now, says Jesus. Be quick about it. Do it first. All the way through Jesus' teaching, there is that urgency. Remember John's words, even now the axe is laid at the bottom of the tree. Right? The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus comes with with uh, blessing, as we've seen, and judgment, as we've seen. He comes with both, and both are at the door. Jesus says, be quick to live the way that I've called you to. Be quick to uh, bring reconciliation. Be quick to, to come to peace with people. Get in there first. Now, this might have some practical outworking for us each here might mean that even before we leave this room there might be conversations hard conversations that need to be had or when you get home as soon as you get home there might be a, a phone call or a conversation with somebody else in the house or with a neighbor or it may, might be that tomorrow morning when you go to work or wherever there is a conversation that needs to happen because quickly first drop what you're doing and be reconciled come to peace as far as it depends on you it might be even now, God is kind of, there are little prods, little tugs that would say, hey, you've, you've got to forgive this person. There are things going on that you've just got, you've got to deal with in your own heart. There are things that you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to sort out. And there are decisions that you've got to make here that you've got to action quickly. And I would, I would encourage you to, to work, to move quickly in this. To imitate Jesus. To be willing to take the hit for the sake of peace, for the sake of love, for the sake of obeying this command. Just a quick conclusion for us then. Won't we, won't we stand up? I'd like to, to, to pray, but just, just before we do, uh, you might be prone to angry outbursts. You know, we... 
or, or, or maybe there are areas of your life where you have been holding and kind of nurturing a, a kind of a, a grudge, long-standing anger against somebody. Every time you see them, you kind of you come away bitter and angry because it kind of raises that thing up again in you. Or maybe, maybe there are relationships that you realise you, you thought you dealt with, but actually that God, has, even as we've, we've been dealing with this, this sort of that moment of he remembers, ah, oh, my brother's something against me. Or maybe there have just been a, a little bumping of heads that, that maybe you're prone to or that's been going on um, over the time. Maybe there's people who still have something against you, rightly or wrongly. And as I say, there may be conversations that need to happen when you get home, before you leave, when you go to work tomorrow, whatever. But I just want to encourage you, recognise it now and do something about it quickly. And so, as we do that, we would let our light shine before the world and that people would see our good works, see how we're called to be peacemakers. And so bless, glorify our God in heaven, our Father in heaven, for the works that they see in us. Stand, let's, let's pray.